Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Have you ever been forgotten? Like legitimately forgotten somewhere. Maybe you were a kid or a teenager and your parents thought they had you or thought you were with someone else and they just took off and completely forgot you somewhere. That's one of those things that just sticks with you for like years to come and maybe you always mess with your parents about it. Like you remember that time you left me at the mall? And it's funny because I remember a story of that happening with some of my really close friends because one of the things you might not know about me is that I'm actually an only child. Some of you are thinking, oh, now it makes sense. First of all, don't be rude, don't be mean. You don't know me. You probably do know me pretty well. But the reality is, as much as my, kid, my, my parents wanted to have a bunch of kids and have tons of babies running around, it was a miracle for my mom to be able to produce me because of some of the health things that she had going on. and so. What they did was this incredible job of surrounding me by lots of friends, lots of family members who basically acted like my brothers and sisters. And we, were, we did everything together. In particular, there was these two families, the Williams and the Beans, that we did everything with. Like we went to church together, we went to school together, we did vacations, we did holidays. Like there was one stretch of time that me and the oldest bean brother, we we saw each other every day for three years straight because we worked together, we went to school together, we went to church together. And it was like we're on day like eight hundred in a row that we've seen each other. This is just crazy. So even though I am an only child, I I had a great opportunity to be around some incredible brothers and sisters and and people I got to do a lot of life with. And so one night, we were all going to hang out together. I think it was like a local concert or event or something like that. And the easiest place for us to all meet was at the church. And so our three families came together. We met up at the church and the other part of this is that like our parents were elders at the church. I think at the time my mom was like one of the youth pastors at the church. Like so we knew all the codes to get into the building. We were like 13 years old and had keys to the building. Not really, but pretty much because we can get the code. We knew the alarm code. We played hide and go seek in the church a thousand times. So we didn't even have to turn lights on. We could go do whatever we wanted to do because we knew this place inside and out. And so we're all hanging out, we're meeting up there, we're we're getting together, and Josh, the younger of the Bean Boys, decided, hey, I I need to use the restroom. So he didn't make any announcement, didn't tell anybody. He put the code in, went inside the building, left the lights off because we didn't need the lights and knew exactly where the bathroom was, and he went to go handle his business. Not long afterwards, our parents realized, oh, we've been talking for a long time. We got to hop in the car. Everybody in the car, we're carpooling. Everybody's running around, scrambling kids, going in some of this car and some in that car. And and we just take off. A few minutes later, Josh walks out of the bathroom to an empty parking lot. And we're all gone. 
And it wasn't until we got to the place that we were going that we all hopped out the car and, and that home alone moment happens of, where's Josh? I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. And everyone's finger pointing. Everyone's like, we don't know where he is. Back in the car, everybody's scrambling. We fly back to the church and there's Josh just sitting in front of the church building on the bench, just swinging his feet back and forth, just thinking, I cannot believe my family left me. And so we're, we're like pulling up to the church and everyone's like, don't tell him that we left him. It's going to hurt his feelings. That didn't work with any of us. We're like hanging out the window. They left you. <laughs> and so like, it, that was 25 years ago. And we still do not let them live that down. That moment where they left Josh at the church. And maybe for some of you, you feel like Josh, you feel like life just passed you on. Your, your family, your friends, something happened. Maybe for some of you, you even feel like maybe God has forgotten you. Because whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever you've been through, you feel like if someone saw me, surely something would be different by now. If God was really a part of my life, then there's no way I would be facing this challenge for this long or in this season. Like, God, where are you at? And that's actually where we find Joseph yet again in the story. We, we've seen him with his brothers. We've seen him sold into slavery. We've seen him accused. He's been sent to prison. All of these crazy things. And, and as we've talked about over the last few weeks, it just, the Bible just keeps saying over and over, but God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph in the prison. In Genesis 40, while he's in the prison, we, we heard this over the last couple of weeks, that he runs into the king's baker and the king's cupbearer that were thrown into prison for whatever reason from Pharaoh. And so they have dreams, and, and Joseph goes, hey, tell me your dreams, I'll interpret them. And for the baker, he tells him the dream, and he goes, bro, I don't, I don't know how else to tell you this, but in, in three days, Pharaoh's going to kill you. Sure enough, three days later, Pharaoh kills him. The cup pair, he's like, hey, your story is, is really awesome. Like, you know, pour one out for the homie, the baker. He's gone. But for you, in three days, Pharaoh is going to reinstate you to your position. He's going to put you right back where you were. You were in time out. Now you're coming out. It's going to be all good. But hey, hey, cupbearer, just do me this one favor. Don't forget me. Remember who interpreted your dream. Remember this, this guy that, that was in prison for no reason. He didn't do anything wrong. Just, just remember me when you were with Pharaoh. The cupbearer was like, oh, Joseph, you're the man. How could I ever forget about you? You told me about the dream. Pharaoh's calling me out of prison. I've got you. I'm never going to forget about you. Genesis 40, verse 23. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another we won't dig into this, but we all have that friend that it's like out of sight, out of mind, just completely forgotten. And it'd be one thing if it's just for a short period of time, but the very, as you turn the page, the very first verse of the very next chapter says these words, two full years later. 
two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. And it, it leads us into this next portion of Joseph's story. But two full years later, and I want to ask you this really, really important question. What do you do when God asks you to wait? What do you do when God says, hey, I've got this promise for you. I've got this dream. I've got this plan in your life. There's amazing things that I want to do. But right now I want you to wait. How do you respond in those moments? In those moments, do you you believe the lie that the enemy's trying to feed you that like God has totally forgotten about you because he's asking you to wait. It's because he's not even thinking about you. He's too busy. He's got more important people to deal with, more important situations to take care of. Like he's totally forgot. You're, you're nobody from nowhere. God's not even thinking about you anymore. Do you start to believe those lies? Or are you similar to me and, and God says, hey, I, I want you to wait. And you're like, okay, give you a few seconds, i give you a few days. Okay, now I'm going to take over and I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to take over. I'm going to put my hands on it. I'm going to make something happen. God says, hey, I want you to wait. And you go, "Mm, hold my beer. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to put some brain power and some sweat equity into this, and I'm going to make something happen. Or maybe for some of you, you just become discouraged in that season of waiting and you you almost become apathetic and you say things like if it hasn't happened by now then I guess it's never going to happen and you feel so discouraged and so defeated by the waiting season that eventually you just give up on the dream all together what do you do when God asks you to wait Look at this truth on the screen. This is so important for us to understand. The gap between the promise and the provision is one of the hardest ones to manage. That gap of time between God's promise to you and then God actually showing up to fulfill it and answer that dream, to answer that vision, to answer that hope that you have for your life, to answer that prayer, the promise and the provision, there's a waiting period in between there. And that waiting can be one of the hardest seasons of our life. But there's a way to survive it. And more importantly, there's a way to thrive in those seasons. You see, there's, there's so much power that we take for granted in that waiting period. The reason is because we're all kind of wired like my, my toddlers, like my seven and, and four-year-old. Daddy, can we do this now? No, not yet. How about now? No. How about now? It's like, if you ask me one more time, you're not getting anything. Do not ask me again. And we just, we just nag and nag and nag. And God's going, just hold on. There's a reason why I'm asking you to wait. As I was thinking about this, I wrote down this thought. We waste our influence watching the clock instead of walking in our purpose. Don't miss that. We waste our influence watching the clock instead of actually walking in our purpose. There's some of you 
that God has said, hey, I, I want to do this. This is a, a promise. This is a, a purpose that I have for your life. This is something that I want to accomplish. But right now in the season, I, I, I need you to wait. I need you to just hold on. And so when another opportunity shows up, when another time for us to have an influence, to have an impact, we go, no, 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 no. I can't do that right now because I'm waiting and my eyes are on whatever's coming next. And, and God's like, wait, no, I sent that person for you to influence. No, that's not the dream. So I'm not, I'm not going to do something because like, if I start working on something else, what if I miss out on the dream? What if I miss out? In the vision? What if I miss out on what I'm really trying to accomplish? So I'm just going to like put blinders on and I'm only going to focus on that and I'm going to push everything else away. And we waste our influence watching the clock going, God, why haven't you answered by now? And God's like, you don't realize that I've been sending people and opportunities in your life in this waiting season for you to learn and grow and to, to influence and make an impact right where you are while I'm working on where you're going to be. And I just wonder how many of us, I know for me, there's been so many seasons that I miss out on influence and impact because I'm just sitting there waiting and watching the clock. When I'm in these seasons, I like to ask myself three questions because it feels like an endless season of waiting. And so in those moments, I, I try to ask myself these three things, and it's truly helped me find more purpose in my waiting season. The first one is this. Is there something within me that needs healing or growth right now? Is there something within me that needs to be healed? An area of my life that's been maybe a blind spot for me in my leadership, a blind spot in the way that I deal with people and interact with people. Is there something within me that needs healing or growth? Because you see, one of, one of the underrated aspects about Jesus in the New Testament that we miss so many times is that he was far more concerned about internal healing than he was about just solving external problems. Yes, Jesus healed people. Yes, Jesus did miracles. But Jesus spent so much of his time helping people to understand what was happening within them, helping them understand who God was. How many times did Jesus go, okay, I, I know you need healing here, but, but what about this? I think about the, the man who was brought before him. The friends carry him. They rip off the roof. They lower him down on the mat. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. It's like, well, what? He's paralyzed. Heal his legs. And he's like, well, what's more valuable for me to, to heal him of his sins, to, to forgive him of those sins, or for me to just tell him to pick up his mat and walk? Just to prove to you that I can do both, pick up your mat and walk. But Jesus he, he was caught up and understood the power of healing what was within. You see, Jesus understands that if he can heal that place in your heart that's holding on to unforgiveness, if he can touch that part and, and fix that part of your mind that believes the lie of the enemy over and over again, if he can help you understand how that bad habit is, is just crippling your influence and the impact that you're going to have in the future, if he can heal those things in this waiting season, it sets you up for far greater success, far greater impact, far greater influence in the future if you allow him to heal 
or grow something within you right now? Another one, the second question that I ask is, is there a hidden lesson for me to learn in my waiting? I know most of you see me and you see the baby face and you're like, I'm pretty sure you're like 14 years old. I'm not 14. I'm just letting you know. I'm, I'm a few years older than that. But there have been seasons in my life that I've had to wait over 10 years for God to answer the prayer. And I know for some of you, you can go, well, 10 years, I, I've been waiting for 20. What? This isn't a comparison thing. The point is that there have been seasons of time where I've had plenty of opportunity to doubt whether or not God was even going to show up. I've had to wait 10 years for a prayer to be answered. I've had to wait five years in a season where I felt like I was just, I was wasting time. I was wasting influence. Five, six years, seven years of doing things. Sometimes I'm like, God, are you going to open the right door? Like, I know you've, you've called me to this. I know you have a purpose for me. Like, why am I still in this season? And what I've understood and, and what I've learned is that in my waiting, there are lessons God is trying to teach me that now I can look back with clarity and go, dude, I, I see what you were doing there. Like, I needed to go through that in order to handle what I'm facing right now. Like, what I learned 10 years ago that felt pointless is so valuable to me right now. But a lot of times when we're in those waiting seasons, it's so difficult for us to wrap our, our minds around the fact that, hey, there's something that the Lord is trying to teach us in these seasons. Listen, there, there's things that I'm walking through right now that I don't get. I, I don't understand why I'm having to go through them and face them and, and walk through them. But what I've learned in my journey already is that it's in these moments that I need to take more notes than I ever have before. It's in these moments of waiting that I need to slow down and go, hey, God, what do you want me to learn from this? Like, what do you, what do you want me to see in this? What are you trying to show me in here? There's, there's humility in these moments for me to embrace. And there's power in me believing and trusting that right now in the waiting, in the confusion, in the feeling of being stuck, in the not understanding why I'm walking through these, in these moments is where God is just, he, he's that incredible school teacher standing at the front of the room going, if you would write this down, I promise you in a year, in two years, in five years, you're going to be so thankful for this lesson. So the question I ask myself, is there a hidden lesson that I need to learn in this season. I've had to embrace this phrase. I don't always know best. If you're sitting around some people while you're watching this, look at one of them and say, I don't always know best. If you're by yourself, look in the mirror and remind yourself of that because we think we have the full picture, but God's going, you don't even have a clue. Just trust me and learn the lessons I'm trying to teach you in this season. The last question that I ask myself is, is there a vision I can serve in the meantime? Now, let me just be honest with you. This is one of the hardest ones to do. 
when you and I are trying to pursue our passion, when we're trying to pursue our vision, when we're trying to pursue this dream that God has placed in our hearts, the idea of serving someone else's vision, the idea of serving someone else's passion, the idea of serving someone else's dream, it's like, no. But look at Joseph. Joseph is, is thrown into the pit. He's sold into slavery. So he goes, all right, well, I'm a slave, so I might as well be the best slave in all of Egypt. And he flies up the rank, and he's running all of Potiphar's house. Then he's accused of something he doesn't do. He's thrown into prison. What does the Bible say? The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him unimaginable love. And he became a favorite of the prison warden. So he starts running the prison. He served to the best of his ability right where he was. Slavery, prison, and eventually where he's about to head. You so sometimes, sometimes the Lord will give you a dream, he'll give you a vision, but your responsibility in this season is to serve someone else's. And it feels like a complete waste. And I can totally relate to you that, that pushback in the moment, go, nah, I don't know, I don't know about that. Several years ago, uh, I remember taking a job at a, at a really large church on the East Coast and I was being hired to be one of the, the worship pastors and to help lead one of their, uh, their secondary campuses. And I was so excited. It was, it was an incredible thing. And, and I was just that like young leader. That's, I told the guy that was hiring me, I said, listen, I'll do whatever my church needs me to do. I am all in. I'll lead groups. I'll, I'll lead worship. I'll do all of these things. But there's one, one thing I, just, I do not want to do. There's one area that I just don't feel like I am cut out or called to be in. Do not put me in kids' ministry. That's just not for me. Some of you watching, you're like, yep, that's me, right? I said, anywhere else, I'm all yours. I'm your guy. I'll make it happen. A couple months later, the church decided to, to close down that campus and reorganize and re-strategize the team and and just reshuffle the deck of, of where people were going to be. And, and where do you think I just happened to be reshuffled to? Kids ministry. And so I, I served in kids ministry for, uh, for a couple years. And, and I was kind of the, the second, second person I led the elementary department. And, uh, but I also got to lead worship and I helped with students and I helped with, with a lot of different areas. And so I got to do some, some really cool things. And in a couple years after doing that, I sat down with that same leader and he says, hey, um, we're, we're going to be reshuffling a little bit of the roles on staff. I'm like, all right, here we go. We're, let's see what's going to happen here. And to my surprise, he said, actually, what we need you to do is to become the children's pastor and take over the whole ministry and we need you to help bring some like health and bring some like new thoughts and new vision new strategy behind how we do kids ministry as a whole and like i need you to take over that and just lead it to the very best of your ability and i remember in the moment saying yeah man whatever you need me to do like i'm i'm all in i want to help the church i'll, I'll do it i'll make it happen but that drive home I remember thinking, God, what are you doing? Like this, this has nothing at all to do with the vision and the dream and the plans that I have for my life. This has nothing to do with the calling that you've called me to do. Like 
I've been doing this now for four years. What do you mean now, now I've got to dig even deeper and take over the whole thing? And God, I'm not called to kids ministry. And I just remember saying, God, God, God telling me, like, I've called you to hear. So do what I've called you to do. And so we we dug in and, and, I, and I led to the very best of my ability. And two years later, I was leading a, a department head team of 10 leaders who were incredible. And we were just pouring into them and growing them. They were tapping into their potential. We were seeing over 400 kids every single Sunday. We were resourcing parents like we had never resourced them before. We were doing incredible things that, that we've dreamed about doing as a kids ministry and as a church. And we were pulling it off and doing incredible, incredible things. And, and I even had the opportunity to travel to several different places and get to train on how to like lead healthy teams and how you can turn around the culture of your kids ministry and how you can reshape the way that you did it. And, and I'm going to different places throughout the South and I even got to teach at a place in Arizona and all of that was happening. And I'm like, how did this happen? I grew so much. It was one of the most fulfilling two years of my life. By the end of it, I ended up serving six years in kids ministry. Fast forward five years, I'm sitting on our property with seven incredible leaders that we've brought around us here at City View, seven incredible staff members who have so much potential, so much purpose, so much vision and passion for their church and for their lives. And what I'm getting to do with our staff here at City View is I'm getting to, to talk to them and, and lean into the idea of building a healthy foundation before we try to like grow and, and get as many people in the room as possible. We're working as a staff, as a team, to be as healthy as possible, to make sure we're all in the right seat on the bus and, and heading in the same direction, that our vision and our purpose is clear. We're, I, I know how to take care of them because I... I've done it before. I know how to, to learn how they're uniquely wired and communicate with them the way that they need to be communicated with and, and pull out of them things that need to be pulled out of them. And, and seeing God use and do those incredible things in your life, where do you think I learned how to do that? Kids ministry. I learned it in a season where I felt like God was wasting my influence when all along he was training me in a safe environment to be ready to lead our church and to lead our staff. There are some of you that right now you feel like you're wasting your time and God's going, while you're serving their vision, you don't understand what I'm building within you. You don't understand the training that I'm giving you to prepare you for when you step into your vision the way that I I can look back with clarity knowing that God never wastes a season. He never wastes a season. So what about poor forgotten Joseph? Last time we left him, Pharaoh was having a couple of dreams that freaked him out. He's still in prison. He's forgotten by the cupbearer. And in Pharaoh's dream, 
It's a pretty weird one. He dreams that seven fat cows were chilling in the marshes, marshes of, of the Nile River. And all of a sudden, seven skinny zombie cows come out of the water and eat the fat cows. And he wakes up freaking out and he's like, what was that? That was, that was crazy. And soon after, he falls back asleep and he has another dream. And this time, it's, it's seven fat stalks of wheat. And all of a sudden, seven skinny, wind-blown, wind-worn-out saplings come and they take over and eat the seven other healthy wheat. He wakes up and he's sweating and he's panicking. He's like, what is going on? This is significant. So he calls all of his magicians and his advisors. And he's like, here's my dream. Here's what's going on. Tell me what it means. And they're, they're like, you know, uh, in our expert opinion, sir, uh, pretty sure you had some bad pineapple pizza. And we got nothing, man. Like, I don't know what in the world any of that means. And finally, it clicks in the cupbearer. Whoa, 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 whoa. Joseph. So he tells Pharaoh, hey, there's this dude in prison. He told me my dream. It was incredible. And it came, it came to pass exactly how he said it was going to happen. And so they call Joseph. They clean him up. They cut his hair. They spray him down with some Axe body spray. They get him before Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh pours out this dream to me. He's like, I've had these dreams. I need to know what's going on. Tell me what they mean. And this is Joseph's moment. Genesis 41, 16. Joseph replies, it's beyond my power to do this. What? Like, we just pulled you out of prison. This is your moment. This is your job interview. This is your chance to show what you have. What? Joseph goes, I can't do it. I can't do it. Continues on, verse 16. But God can tell you what it means. And he will set you at ease. You and I read this and we're like, oh, okay, that, no big deal. This is a huge deal. This is the beauty of understanding the context of when this was written. Joseph saying, I can't do it, but God, the one true God, will answer you. That is a no-no. That is how you lose your head. Pharaoh believes he is God. You don't tell Pharaoh there's some other God that's greater than you that can answer your problem. And matter of fact, not only is he going to answer your problem, but he's going to give you peace. This was a horrible, horrible response. Pharaoh, I can't do it, but God can, and he will put you at ease. I, I can imagine that the cupbearer is just rolling his eyes. The advisors are like fist bumping each other. They're like, this kid's a goner. But miraculously, Pharaoh overlooks that. And he leans in. He says, tell me what it means. Joseph tells him that there will be seven years of great harvest, seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of unbelievable famine. Everything will be ravaged by the lack of rain. Everything is just going to die and wither. And he says the, the two dreams, it's just God reinforced. God, like God's for real, for real. This is going to happen. God has decreed it. So you might as well go ahead and like buckle in, get ready. This is happening. And the room had to be silent. Pharaoh's, he's thinking, I can imagine him playing with his, his soul patch because they all had soul patches. It was, it was just kind of weird. 
And Joseph is standing there looking around the room like, and, and nobody else, no one's going to say anything? No one's got any ideas? Like, I just told you what it means. And so Joseph does the unthinkable. He goes, okay, fine. No one else has an idea. Let me tell you what you need to do, Pharaoh. Let me tell you how you handle this situation. And everyone in the room goes, no one does this. This is a crazy little Hebrew boy that was just pulled out of prison, sprayed down with Axe body spray, standing in front of the strongest, most powerful man in the world at the time. And he goes, let me tell you what you need to do. Here's the plan. Step one, find a wise and smart leader. Step two, put him in charge of everything. Like literally he has to have all the authority, like let him lead. Number three, set up local supervisors in each of the different regions so that they can keep an eye on things. Step four, save 20% of all the crops, all the cattle, all of these, like save 20% of it in these seven years of great harvest. Save it, store it up, guard it, protect it. And then in the seven years of great famine, we've got seven years of 20% built up that we're going to thrive when the rest of the world is falling to pieces. Sounds like a great plan, but again, this is a Hebrew kid that's standing before Pharaoh, pulled out of prison, falsely accused of trying to rape one of his police chief's wives. Like, what is happening? Everyone's holding their breath. This kid has lost his mind. Verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well-received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the spirit of God. What? Pharaoh believes he's God and he's acknowledging Joseph's God filled with the spirit of God. Again, you got to remember the context. There's no Bible. Joseph isn't pulling out his like Gideon's copy of the New Testament and showing it to Pharaoh. There's no book of Genesis. Moses hasn't even been born yet for the book of Genesis to be written. There is no record of this God. And he goes, I don't know what's going on, but you're filled with God. You're filled with the spirit. We're going to listen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, again, since God has revealed the meaning of the dream to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on the throne will have a rank higher than yours. From the pit to the palace, only God can turn around a story like that. But here's something that I I want you to understand. This is so, so, so important. Don't miss this. This is is our big challenge for the day. God being with us is a promise. God being in us is a decision. That's a huge difference. Listen, God promises that he will be with us. He is for us. Never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. We sing songs about how he's going to be with us in the fire and in the water, in the storms. Like He promises that he'll be with us. But there's a difference between God being around us, working in and around the, the areas of our lives, working in the people around us. There's a totally different situation between God being with us and God being 
in us. And some of you, God is working all around you, but you're intentionally ignoring him because you're trying to do it on your own. And while God is promising that he'll be with you, you haven't invited him in to your life. You haven't invited him in to your situation. You haven't invited him in to your waiting. You're frustrated with God. You're frustrated with the season that you're in, but you haven't invited God in. What set Joseph apart was that he was obviously filled with the spirit of God. Are you obviously filled with the spirit of God? We have to intentionally decide to give God access. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 12 to stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. The original language describes it as being squeezed into the mold of the present age. Stop being squeezed by the mold. Hey, hey, this is what your life is supposed to look like. This is what you're supposed to do. By the time you're 15, by the time you're 18, by the time you're 22, by the time you're 32, by the time you're 40, by the time you're 60, this is what you're supposed to look like. And God go, whoa. Do not imitate the ideals and the opinions of the world around you. Do not try to fit your life into the mold of what's going on. Don't you understand that I'm trying to do something different in your life? I'm promising that I'm going to be with you, but will you let me transform you from the inside out? Will you invite God in to your waiting, in to your fire, into your storm, into your marriage that's falling apart, into your finances that you can't figure out how it's going. Are you going to invite God in to what you are facing? Are you going to settle and be satisfied for God just promising to be with you? Will you allow him to fill you from the inside out? Listen, stop trying to find God's purpose for your life while ignoring his presence. You want his purpose, but it starts with you making the decision to invite him in. Allow him to be the one who fills your life. Allow him to be the one that answers that need that's deep within you. Will you give God access to your As we wrap up today, I I just want you to understand that it's super challenging to go through those seasons of waiting. It's super challenging to look at our lives and feel like it's, it's not lining up with what we thought it was going to. But I can promise you from personal experience, the wait is worth it. But we have got to invite God in to the waiting. So when God asks you to wait, will you invite him in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible story. I thank you that you show us how how Joseph 
even when he had his moment to shine, he doesn't even take any of the shine. He, he goes, I, I can't do it. Only God can. And I just wonder, God, in our lives, how differently things would be if, if we just came in with that same mentality. Hey, like, I can't do this on my own. I can't solve this problem. I can't fix this. I've tried to do this all on my own. But God, I am inviting you in because you are the only one who can. So Heavenly Father, I pray right now in this moment that you would help us, that we wouldn't just settle for you being with us and around us, God, but that we would breathe you in, that we would invite you in, that we would give you access to those hidden areas of our hearts, those hidden areas of our lives, that we would allow you to transform us from the inside out. And God, when you do that, the doors that will open the lessons that will be learned, the humility that will pour out, the opportunity for us to make impacts even in our season of waiting will grow exponentially because we're allowing you to be what comes out of us rather than our insecurities and our frustrations and our impatience with the season that we're in. So God, would you fill us up? Would you fill us again? We pray all of this in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.